You are listening to Sermon Audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more sermon audio, visit redtreechurch.com. Right, good morning. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I am excited to be up here this morning. We're going to be continuing in the book of Jonah. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and get to Jonah. It might take you a little while to find it. It does me. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we have copies at the end of every row. My daughter's wandering around the room randomly. (laughs) Um, So yeah, if you don't have a Bible, you can get one of the ones that's at the end of the row. Um, So we have been in Jonah. We've been taking the summer to go through some of the minor prophets, and we've been in Jonah If you've been here the last couple of weeks, then you've heard Pastor Mike and Pastor Dan walk us through the first two chapters of the book. They've done an amazing job so far. If you haven't gotten to listen to it, then I would really suggest you go back and listen. Um, But if you haven't been here, I will kind of, you know, get us up to speed on the story so far this morning. Jonah has always been one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, It's one of those that everybody knows the story. A guy gets eaten by a big fish. Um, But it's it's one that has always really spoken powerfully to me. And I think, for me, it's because of the story element of the book. And I just want to kind of pull back for a minute and talk about just Jonah as a story. I'm a little worried, or I get a little worried, with a book like this when we cut it up into pieces, and which is necessary for Sunday mornings, but we cut it up into pieces and we talk about each individual chapter, which is great, and we can find great meaning there. But this book is a story. It's one story. And I think it's important for us to kind of refocus ourselves on that and realize that this is a single story, and if we just think about it chapter by chapter, we're going to miss the overall point. Sam has done a really good job the last couple weeks of kind of focusing us every morning on this overall theme of who do we hate. That's a theme that is, it just runs throughout the book of Jonah. And there are other themes and things that we just need to make sure that we are fixated on, I think, as we talk through this book. So I just want to talk a little bit about that a little bit about Jonah as a story, because we all, I think, it's not just me, I think all of us as humans connect with story. There's something about stories that speaks to us in a different way. Me personally, I love stories. I love telling stories. I love reading. I love reading stories. I love writing stories. I love just engaging with story. And I think that that is something that's not just me. I think we all have that in us somewhere. That's why Our culture is so fascinated by movies, TV, books, all of these entertainment things that tell us a story. And this book is a fantastic story. It's extremely well written. The book of Jonah is one example of how incredible of a storyteller our God is. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that the book of Jonah is fiction. God is a storyteller who is perfectly capable of using real events and creating real events to tell his story. And in fact, that is what he's done here. 
like Mike and Dan have said the last couple weeks, the fantastic elements of the story, the miraculous elements of the story are not out of God's control. He is fully in control of them and orchestrated them to tell his story. But I want us to really realize that this is a story. The author, whether it was Jonah or someone else writing down Jonah's depiction of what happened, was inspired by God to write Jonah's account of his story in a way that is extremely well written. This is four short chapters, a very compact tale of a single person going on a journey to a single city and preaching God's message. We don't get a backstory on who Jonah is in this book. We don't get a lot of context for why Jonah responds the way he does. We don't get a lot of context for why God sends him to these people at this time. It's just a story. Now we can pull all those things from the rest of scripture and historical research and all those kind of things on the book, but And that's great, but I don't want us to lose that this is a story. It's a tale. I don't want to camp on this a lot longer, but there's a couple of things about this story that I want to point out that just for us to keep in mind as we go through it. The first thing is, this book is a comedy. It's okay to laugh at scripture. God wrote this as a comedy. Jonah is a comedic character. He's kind of the classic literary fool of the story. He constantly does everything wrong, and it's ridiculous. You're supposed to laugh at him. The book is categorized as satire, which is basically the purpose of it is to expose human error through comedy. We see this prophet of God who runs away from God, sleeps through a storm that is going to destroy the boat, then is exposed by a group of pagan sailors who are effectively drawing straws, and then he gets thrown over the, boat, over the side of the boat into the sea and eaten by a massive fish. It's a comedy. It's supposed to make us laugh. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to find it ridiculous. If you ever needed proof that God has a sense of humor, just look at this book. The second thing about this book is it's extremely well written in a literary form. The author uses bold and extremely descriptive language in the telling of this story. The storm is a mighty tempest. The Lord hurls the storm upon the boat, and Jonah is hurled over the side into the sea. The author is trying to capture our attention by the bold way that he tells this story. There's 14 different uses of the word great. There are a lot of different things that are described as great in this book, as large, as huge. We see a theme running throughout the book of the concept of evil sinking down and God rising things up. There's a key word that's used multiple times throughout the book of Jonah. It's this Hebrew word ra'ah, which used in this way means to break or to do evil. We'll come back to that. The third thing that I want us to just realize about this book is that the story is written in a specific way to use three different story elements that repeat twice throughout the story. And then there's a final scene with a lesson. So we've seen these three story elements in the book of Jonah already. 
The first one is Jonah being commissioned and sent on his way by God. And then Jonah's response, whether good or bad. The second thing is Jonah's response to God is compared to pagans who show a greater passion for the salvation of the lost than God's prophet does. And the third thing is Jonah's prayer to God and his interaction with God. So we've seen those three things happen already, and we're going to begin to see them start repeating now in Jonah. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get to the actual story. So let me kind of get us up to speed real quick. We have, like I've said, we have the prophet of God who has been told by God to go and preach a message to the Ninevites. The Ninevites were, that was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, who we've talked about several times throughout looking through the minor prophets. These people were evil, they were awful, they were seeking to conquer the world, and for the most part, they succeeded. They had attacked Israel, the northern kingdom, quite a bit, and they had kind of conquered them and made them uh, subjects of the Assyrian Empire. So Jonah, being a prophet of God from the northern kingdom of Israel, has reason to hate the Ninevites. So Jonah is given this message to go and tell the Ninevites that God has seen their evil and is going to respond. We have Jonah who decides to run away. He says, nope, not going to do that. So he jumps on a boat and flees in the opposite direction to go to Tarshish. We see that God threatens a storm. He sends this mighty tempest that is going to destroy the boat that Jonah is on. The sailors do their best to try to save themselves, but they realize there's nothing they can do. So they begin to call out to their gods. These are pagan sailors who have no experience with the God of the Bible, and they begin to call out to their gods. They go and they wake up Jonah, who's in the bottom of the boat, sleeping, and they say, please talk to your God. See if there's anything that can be done to save us. They're desperate at this point. Jonah ignores them, does not call out to God, and the storm continues. So the sailors decide to cast lots, which was basically the Old Testament form of drawing straws, and they decide that they're going to figure out who is responsible, whose God is punishing them with this storm. So they do this, they come up with Jonah, and he kind of says, yep, it's me. I serve the God who controls the sea and the storms. And he admits to them that he's running away from his God. They are beyond amazed and say, what are we supposed to do? He tells them, the only thing you can do is to throw me over into the sea. Now these sailors who are pagans don't want to do that. They don't want to kill Jonah. They know that that would be his end. So they spend even more time trying to save the boat. It says that they do everything that they can to get back to land. But once again, they realize that there's nothing they can do. And so they throw him overboard. They ask God to please forgive them for what they are doing. This God of the Bible, Jonah's God. They speak to him and ask him to please forgive them. And they throw Jonah overboard. 
he gets eaten by a massive fish that God sends, and that fish then spends three days and three nights with Jonah in its stomach. He prays to God, he spends these three days in reflection, and then he gets vomited up on dry land by the fish. And that's where we pick up the story. So let's read Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. That is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word this morning to us. I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear what you have to say through your story. God, I pray that you would give us the freedom to see the beauty of your word and to understand what you have for us this morning. God, I pray that you would speak through me powerfully, that you would open the word that you have through me, and that you would allow us all to be impacted by what you have for us. Amen. All right, so there's a couple of things that I want to point out from this passage. So Jonah has been vomited back up on dry land by the fish, and God once again calls Jonah to do his work. In almost the exact same words he uses the first time, he parallels that and says, Jonah, go and preach the message that I will give to you. This time, Jonah actually does it instead of running away. No idea what was going through Jonah's head, but there has to have been, have been just a level of frustration and uh, anger that he tried once to run away and probably the worst experience of his life happened. So I guess he's only left with actually doing what he doesn't want to do. So he goes. He goes to Nineveh and we see more of the author's bold language here as he describes the large size of Nineveh. We see that Jonah travels for an entire day through the city until he gets to a certain place, and then he preaches the message that God tells him. We get eight words. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
Nothing else there, or at least nothing else that the author chooses to record. So for story's sake, we're going to believe that that was the entirety of the message. Eight words. In 40 days, Nineveh was done. The people of Nineveh, one of the mightiest and most evil cities on earth at this point, hear this message, realize somehow that it's a message from the true God, and they believe it. They believe it so strongly that immediately the entire city, from the greatest to the least, begins to fast and put on sackcloth. The king stands up and removes his robe, puts on sackcloth, sits in ashes, all these different things that are a sign of mourning and repentance in the Old Times, the Old Testament times. And he gives a declaration to the entire city to say, no one, including the animals, is going to eat or drink anything, and you are all going to cry out to God and ask him to relent. He says, who knows? God may relent. So, that message goes through the entire city. All of the people do what they're told, and God relents. That's our story today. To be honest, it's pretty self-evident. It doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. God sends a prophet to an evil people. They repent, and God does not follow through on the disaster that he had promised. There's a couple of things that I want to touch on and that I think we can learn from this passage, and then I'm going to be done. First thing is God wants to use messengers to present his message to sinners. God goes to some extreme lengths here to get Jonah to go to this city and preach his, his message. This is the creator God of the universe. We see him in do things of extreme power and might through this story as he raises up a storm, as he brings a fish, as he does all these things to bring Jonah to where he wanted him to go. I think we can pretty accurately say by the responses of the pagan sailors and the Ninevites that God could have just spoken directly to any one of them And they would have way easier done what God wanted them to do than Jonah did. God goes to extreme lengths to get a messenger there to give his message. Why does he do that? Why did God go to such lengths to get Jonah to present the message? I think the answer is pretty simple. God wants to use foolish sinners to proclaim his message Because he is a God who is redeeming his creation back to his original purpose. He's a God who is constantly inviting people back into his plan. He gives Jonah an invitation to be a part of his plan, to be a part of the saving grace that he is going to give to these people. And Jonah runs away. And so God brings him back and invites him back in a second time. God didn't need Jonah. He could have done what he did without Jonah. The message of the gospel is something that God can present without a messenger, but he chooses to use messengers. God doesn't need a messenger, but lost sinners do. If you're a Christian, then you should know the seriousness of the gospel message. The Ninevites were sinners. 
Sin is serious. We just finished going through the book of Habakkuk where God pronounces his judgment on the Assyrians. The, the Ninevites were a part of Assyria because of the seriousness of their sin. We see that this word is used several times throughout the book of Jonah, ra'ah, which in Hebrew it means to break or to do evil or disaster. And God uses it to describe the evil of the Ninevites, and he also uses it to describe the disaster that is going to happen if they continue in their evil. In smaller form, he also uses it to describe the evil of Jonah rejecting his calling and running away, and the disaster that falls upon him for his sin. Sin is serious, it's evil, and it brings disaster upon us. If you're a Christian sitting in this room, you are only set free from that disaster because someone told you the message of the gospel. The words of life that Jesus came to save you were given to you by someone. In Romans 10, Paul clearly presents the gospel message in verses 9 through 13. Listen to this. He says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the beautiful message of the gospel, that there is salvation from our evil sin and the imminent destruction that is the result of that sin. It's a beautiful message, and it's simple. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. It's a simple message, and it's still a simple message for us today. I think we like to psych ourselves up and think that we need class after class. We need to be so mature. We need to be so good at discipling. We need to be so far in our theological understanding before we can present this simple message to lost sinners. But we see that God blows that entire rationale up in Jonah. Jonah's message is extremely simple. It's eight simple words. It's not even a good telling of the message of the gospel. He just completely gives the doom part of the gospel and doesn't even mention God. Yet somehow God takes that and reveals to the Ninevites that he is the real God and that they can repent and turn away. God can use even the worst of messengers and does. He uses us. The amazing thing about this book is Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. He hated them. He ran away. He didn't want to even go there to proclaim this message of doom because we see in chapter 4, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but we see Jonah gets angry when God relents. We see that Jonah says, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew that God wants to save sinners, and he hated them. He didn't want them to be saved, so he didn't want to go. 
He didn't want to preach the message. There is an aspect of doom that is hard about the gospel. We are saying you are a sinner and you deserve to be destroyed. That is a part of the gospel message. None of us likes to be the bearer of bad news. Jonah may have enjoyed that part, I don't know, but we usually don't. About six months ago, I had to fire someone at my job for the first time. I hated it. It was awful. I had to give this bad news, and it was terrible. I did it in an awful way because I wasn't ready for it, and I didn't want to do it, and it was awful. But it had to be done. Someone has to proclaim that message of doom so that God can bring the repentance and joy that comes from it. We are all on the other side of someone doing that for us. Can you imagine if the messenger that God had sent to bring the gospel message to you had run the other way instead of bringing it to you? Where would we be if that had happened? Paul continues in Romans 10, in verses 14, 14 through 15. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This passage is amazing. Paul works backwards. He says, How can lost sinners call on the saving power of Jesus if they don't believe in him? How could the Ninevites call on the graciousness of God if they don't know who he is? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never even heard of? How can lost sinners believe in Jesus if they've never heard of him? I know we live in a country where we think everyone has heard of Jesus, but that is rapidly going away. There are a lot of people all around us whose only experience with the name of Jesus is as a cuss word. They haven't even heard of Jesus. They don't even know what he's done. And how can someone come and tell them about him unless they're sent? This is how God is building his kingdom. He saved you, and he's sending you to go be the messenger so others can be saved. And it gives this amazing message that we actually just sang about and how beautiful are the feet of those who go and preach the good news. What an incredible blessing it is to receive salvation from evil and destruction. And how amazing is it that we have a God who invites us in to be part of that work, who allows us to go and experience the blessing of presenting that message to someone else. God's word does not return void. He the gospel is powerful, and it will have an effect. We don't have to be afraid that our message won't get across or that we won't be effective in saving that person. Jonah's message was awful. He did a terrible job. But God saved an entire city because God is in charge of salvation. We are not. We simply get to take part in it. I don't know about you guys, but I definitely feel like Jonah sometimes. I feel stupid. I feel like I want to run away. I feel like I don't know the words to say. But really, it doesn't matter. 
God is way more powerful and can use even the simplest of words. And here's the best part. Jonah tells us in chapter 4, he says, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. God wants to save sinners. He wants to relent. It is incredible to me that we have this city full of awful, evil people who are doing terrible things, and God relents. These people all repent, and God does not destroy them. That is amazing. It's not that God changed his mind, because from the beginning he wanted to save them. He knew that he was going to save them. He knew that he was going to relent, but that message of doom was a part of it. They had to know. God wants to save sinners. He's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He did that for us, and he wants to use us to do that for others. I think one of the amazing messages from the book of Jonah is the comparison of ourselves to Jonah. We all run away from our calling sometimes. We probably all have refused the call of God at times. But God gives Jonah a second chance, and he gives us a second chance, and probably a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth, because we're all a little stupid like Jonah. But God loves us and continues to give us chances. And that's what I want us to take away from this today. We're called to go and preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the sinners around us. Every single one of us are. That is the call. Many of us have probably been called to do that for a long time. We may have rejected it. Some of you guys may be doing it, and that's awesome. But some of us have rejected it. But God has mercy for you as well. God had mercy for Jonah. He put him through an extreme tempest and through some crazy circumstances, but he did not. He relented for Jonah as well. He did not end his life. He brought him back and gave him the chance to follow the call once again. We can take part in the good news of God's mercy being spread to the world. We too can see the grace and mercy of God extended to sinners. We have a choice today to either run away from that call or to take part in it. God's word will still continue. He will still be effective in his salvation, even if we run away. But it's probably going to hurt a little more. So we can choose today to take part in the call of God We get to be the beautiful feet of God's messengers. And the gospel message is powerful. People need to hear hope, and we have it. So let's give it. God delights in the salvation of sinners, in restoring his creation to right standing with him. And he works powerfully. You don't need to worry about how effective you will be. Just obey the call and watch God do amazing things. That's the message I think God has for us out of this chapter this morning. 
I'm going to pray, and we're going to spend some time in reflection on that. And I really encourage you guys, Sam's going to talk a little more about it, but I really encourage you guys to reflect on this, because you do have a choice to follow the call or not. Jesus, I thank you that you have grace and mercy for us, that although we have rejected the call and run away and been like Jonah, you extend grace to us and give us another invitation and another and another. Your salvation is an invitation to take part in your work. I thank you for that. I pray that this morning you would open our hearts and help us to see the call and to respond with joy. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.